Hi, this is Sadie. You're listening to Traffic, and I have my friend Jessica Haney as my co-host today. It's going pretty well. You ready for classes to start tomorrow? I am not. I just looked at what our assignments are. Are you going to do? Last hour. Oh, yeah, that, that sucks. <laughs> We're like halfway, though. It's kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. All right, do you want to introduce our trafficking victim this week? Sure. Um, her name is Lisa Montgomery. Yep. And she was um, recently featured in the news for being the first woman executed by the federal government in like the last 50 years, I want to say. Yeah, it's actually 70, but it's still freaking terrible. 70 years, not 50, yep. Yeah. I'm ready. Okay, I don't know if it's possible to give a blanket trigger warning for this entire episode, but I'd like listeners to know that there will be repetitive sexual assaults and depictions of childhood abuse and torture. But if you're able or interested in hearing about how the United States executed the only female on federal death row, then you're in the right place. Alternatively, this episode's about Bobby Jostinet's murder, the subject of two books, multiple crime shows and documentaries, and now another podcast. Oh, one housekeeping issue. During my research, I found one of my least favorite phrases, so I'd like to clarify that there's no such thing as a child prostitute for the people in the back. That's it. Thank you. Like, I'm like, oh, well, she was engaged in childhood prostitution. I'm like, no, 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 no. None of that at all. Okay. So Lisa Montgomery's childhood. Unlike some of our stories, I don't think it's appropriate to say that Lisa was born to a loving mother and father. In fact, I think the only person truly excited and capable of caring for Lisa was her older sister, Diane. They had the same father, and he entered a marriage with Lisa's mother, Judy Shaughnessy, when Diane was three. And Lisa was born when Diane was four. Judy would beat Lisa and Diane and tape Lisa's mouth shut so regularly that she learned not to cry. She'd push Diane out into the snow naked. And according to Judy herself, Lisa's first words were, don't spank me, it hurts. Are you for real? Yeah. We're off to a... Oh, uh, it starts so tragically. Yeah. Oh it only kind of plateaus, I guess, and shittiness. The girls lived together until Diane was eight and Lisa was four. That's when their father left and Judy started making nightly trips to bars and leaving the girls with older men. Trigger warning, social services removed Diane after one of Judy's new boyfriends started raping her, but Lisa was left there. Why did they leave one of the other kids? Well, they weren't supposed to. I guess according to social services policies at the time, once one child's removed from a home for violence like that, you're supposed to investigate any other children in the premises, but they just didn't, which is a reoccurring theme in this in Lisa's like entire life. It's like people knew about these abuses and they just didn't do anything. Like up until the very end. Okay. <laughs> no one does anything. Okay. So Diane remembers a terrifying household where physical, psychological, and sexual abuse at the hands of Judy was normalized. Diane said her sole purpose in life was to protect her little sister. Aww. Yeah. She threw up the entire drive to her new foster family, knowing the fate that awaited four-year-old Lisa. She was afraid to say anything to her new foster parents because she didn't want them to know her history of rape and abuse because she thought they'd send her away. That's so... <sighs> And so Both that's of like, these poor girls. Yeah, and so that's something that she's like lived to regret the rest of her life as well, which isn't her fault either. She was a child. Judy terrorized. Yeah, I guess Judy terrorized Lisa most of her life. She was an alcoholic and drank excessively during her pregnancy, so Lisa was likely mm -hmm. born with fetal alcohol syndrome, which is something that like a lot of experts testified to, but also they didn't really. I don't know, save her from being executed. So Wasn't that similar with the Centoya Brown story? It was. It was super yeah. similar. Lisa was forced to sit in a high chair for hours if she didn't finish her food. Judy would subject her kids to like really cruel punishments, 
which some experts said could be categorized as torture. And these include forcing the kids to take cold showers, whipping them with belts, cords, brooms, or hangers. One time, Judy beat the family dog with a shovel in front of the kids until it died just because. What? Yeah. Just because. Yeah. They... Like she was mad. She killed the dog in front of them. That's another form of abuse to the kids. I agree. Totally is. Lisa suffered from relentless physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, including being trafficked by her own mom, who described her daughter as a teenage prostitute at, which, at one point, which is why I kind of like popped off at the beginning. Diane said, quote, Judy was manipulative, and I hate to use this word, but evil. She enjoyed torturing the people around her. She got joy out of it. One sister was taken out and put into a loving home and was nurtured and had time to heal. The other sister stayed in that situation and got worse and worse and worse. And then at the end, she was broken, end quote. Mm. After Diane was removed, Lisa became the subject of Judy's newest husband, Jack Kleiner's sexual abuse. According to that guy's own children, he was a violent alcoholic who started abusing Lisa when she was 11. Her stepfather raped her, and if Lisa resisted, he threatened to rape her sister, who was laying in the bed next to her. The family moved constantly, spending time in Washington, Kansas, Colorado, and Oklahoma. But Lisa's lawyers argued that the abuse turned into torture in a trailer in Sperry, Oklahoma. Lisa's half-siblings said Jack built a shed onto the trailer where he would beat and rape her. And he encouraged his friends to as well. Judy began trafficking Lisa to handymen like electricians and plumbers who would use her daughter in exchange for like services, I guess, like fixing shit around the trailer. Not surprisingly, Judy and Jack had a divorce and Judy testified that she witnessed at least one of the sexual assaults and she forced Lisa to testify in court to the abuse she like experienced so that in Judy's mind, the divorce would go in her favor. But she was so apathetic and cold while her daughter spoke of these things that the judge actually reprimanded her for being a cold mother. But then the issue is that the fucking judge didn't do anything either. He didn't report it or follow up. The judge heard all the abuse, didn't reprimand the mom. It. And yeah, like doesn't, it actually turns out a social worker heard Lisa's claims and thought they were believable. And she turned a file over to the Tulsa County District Attorney's Office where no actions were taken. Yeah. And all the other previous travels just made it so much harder. Right. It's like, to have a I consistent don't, story. Yeah. And I really don't know what it was about this girl, but every single person that guard her over and over and over again. And the sad thing is, you know, she's not the only one. No, that you're right. It's full of documentaries that this happened. You're right. Judy married six times, which is inspiring for some of us, I guess. But she was trafficking Lisa as a preteen and forcing her to sleep with multiple men multiple times a day, including the repairman, basically throughout the rest of her teenage years. So from the time the kid's 11 to 17, she's a, a complete trafficking victim in its entirety. Mm. Lisa's legal team conducted 450 interviews with family members, friends, doctors, and social workers. And collectively, their accounts tell the story of family dysfunction, abuse, neglect, professional negligence, substance abuse, and untreated mental illness. Lisa was born to a family, quote, rife with mental illness, including schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and depression, end quote. Around the time that Lisa became a trafficking victim, she started disassociating, and this only got worse throughout her whole existence. She developed complex post-traumatic stress disorder, temporal lobe epilepsy, and scans of her brain showed damage and abnormal patterns in the areas responsible for regulating social and emotional behavior and memory. 
her adverse childhood experience or ACES score, is that like ACES score? Is that what people say? ACES. Okay, cool. Her ACES score was nine out of 10 and global functioning score showed severe impairment in daily activities. Yeah, I guess an average score is like a 40. So for her to have like a 90, it's bad. From what I read, I have no experience. Blanket statement as well. Lisa's grades grew progressively worse and she was placed into remedial classes and teachers noticed she showed up dirty. Her clothes were torn and filled with holes. Her family was living in an isolated trailer without running water. And despite teachers knowing this and even talking to each other about the suspected abuse Lisa endured at home, nobody reported anything to social services or law enforcement. I love it. When did mandated reporter laws become a thing? Like recently-ish. Okay. I can look it up really quickly. But I think it was mandatory blanket in 98. Okay. Federally. Oh, yeah, I remember where we were. It's pretty fucked up. Okay. She tried to confide in her cousin, who was a deputy sheriff, but he didn't believe her despite her crying and shaking while she said that men tied her, beat her, and urinated on her. He responded by driving her back to the trailer and into the hands of her abusers. She's a child. She's not supposed to know what those things are. Yeah. Let alone. And like you were in a position. Imagine these and make these. You're literally in a position to protect her. Paid for by all of us to do that. But don't worry, he, quote, lives with regret for not speaking up about what happened to Lisa. Like, good, thank you. One of Lisa's brothers, trigger warning, found a tape showing a beating and assault. Quote, it was violent and like a scene out of a horror movie. I felt sick watching the video. I didn't know what to do or how to talk to my sister about it, end quote. Mm. Her friends and family started noticing that she'd slipped further and further into a world of her own, which I think is how they were saying her disassociations just still worsening and worsening and worsening she's probably coping here's the fucking kicker you guys at 17 judy insisted that lisa marry her 25 year old stepbrother nope. carl Bo bowman nope. the son of judy's fourth husband nope veto nope the two met when carl came home from the navy and moved into the home with his father and stepmother judy lisa married him at 18 and the pair had their first child in 87 when lisa was 19. oh my god mm-hmm yeah, I got to that point, too, and I was like, Jess, here we go. <laughs> now she has to support a baby and take care of a baby. Yeah, and yeah. she's emotionally bruised herself. Ugh. So during Lisa's marriage, her husband continues to abuse her the way she experienced during her childhood. Mm. He would beat and rape her, and after her fourth child was born, she was pressured into sterilization, which she described as involuntary. Her mental health deteriorated and she seemed to fixate on traumatic childhood experiences, disassociate entirely or behave erratically. During her five-year marriage, like I said, she gave birth to four children who she in turn- In five years? In five fucking years. Oh, yeah. Who she in turn abused and neglected herself. But a bunch of experts testified that she never learned how to care for herself. So she was like out of the question for her ever to learn how to care mm -hmm. for other people. One report actually said she lived with lice for years just because like she never learned how to take care of herself. In 1998 at 23, she divorced her stepbrother and suffered from episodes of mania and psychosis. In 2000, Lisa remarried Kevin Montgomery and she repeatedly claimed to be pregnant but would lose the babies, which is something mm -hmm. that like her her ex-husband knew for a fact it wasn't true because of the sterilization. Yeah, yeah. But this is like a, re a repeat theme where Lisa starts having, I think a couple of her defense attorneys tried to do the hysterical pregnancy disorder claim, but it fell through when they had an expert on the stand who said that like they didn't have any specialty in that disorder. 
we'll get to the legal team. Okay. They are their own issue entirely oh, as well. A uh, random fact, by 34, Lisa had moved 61 times, which I think is also just indicative of the fact that she lived in extreme poverty and never learned to care for herself yeah. and was the subject of all of this stuff. So she lived with Kevin and they raised two of her four kids from her previous marriage. So Lisa starts telling Kevin after four years of marriage that she's pregnant again and then began planning for the arrival of their new baby like very seriously this time. I don't know what made this situation different than the last ones or if it was any different, but they were getting things for a nursery and telling people about their baby girl and doing things like that, like, like more serious baby planning steps, I guess yeah. is what I'm trying to say. On December 14th, 2004, Lisa's ex-husband slash stepbrother filed for custody of the two children and threatened to expose Lisa's lie to the courts to gain full custody since he knew she couldn't get pregnant. In case you were wondering, Carl Bowman had been charged with felony child sexual abuse, arrested for allegedly performing acts on a female minor at his apartment in Dewey, Oklahoma. That's the first husband? Since all the shit went down, oh he's been God. brought up on those charges, which check out, he married his 18-year-old stepsister. Yeah, no, there's a consistent pattern. Yeah. He was further arrested for knowingly possessing, procuring, or manufacturing child pornography of the victim. People speculate that her declining mental health combined with the threat of losing her children broke her and drove her to commit a heinous crime against an innocent woman. Are you ready to hear about Bobby Joe's Bobby. Her name is Bobby Joe. It's like already horrible. Bobby Joe is 23 years old. She was eight months pregnant and she was a newlywed. She lived in Skidmore, Missouri, a tiny town with a population roughly over 250 people. Everyone knew Bobby and her family. Jenna Bomley, one of Bobby's high school classmates, said, quote, she always wanted to be a mom. She was really the first one to have a decent marriage, you know? Mm. And I guess looking at Bobby Joe is like what your dreams were when you were younger, end quote. She met and bonded with Lisa online on a forum for rat terrier breeders and enthusiasts. Eventually, Lisa confided in Bobby that she was also expecting, and they bonded over their pregnancy experiences. Unbeknownst to Bobby, Lisa created a separate account under the name Darlene Fisher and began talking to Bobby about purchasing one of her rat terrier puppies. Bobby expected Darlene Fisher to visit her home in search of a puppy on December 16, 2004. At some point, Lisa calls Kevin and tells him she's shopping in Topeka, Kansas, where she goes into labor and is like delivering the baby at a birthing center there. Oh, so she carried on the pregnancy. So she's doing a bunch of time. Yes. So the day of the crimes, like all of these things were happening simultaneously. Like she created the fake account. She's showing up to Bobby's house. She's calling her husband and telling her like she's in labor. Shopping. Like she's doing in the labor. damn thing. You know what I mean? So December 16th, 2004, Lisa drives 281.5 kilometers or 175 miles from Malvern, Kansas to Bobby's home in Skidmore, Missouri. Lisa overpowered her, strangled her with a rope, and cut her unborn baby girl from inside of her. Lisa told her husband she gave birth at the shopping center and pretended the baby girl was her own. Kevin said he drove his two stepchildren to Topeka and met his wife and the baby inside her red Toyota Corolla in a parking lot at the Long John Silver's restaurant. The five then returned to their home with the baby riding in the car, and Kevin and his wife had breakfast the next morning at a local cafe where they showed off the baby girl dressed in a pink bonnet. And the owner, Kathy, later reported that the couple introduced the baby as Abigail. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's horrific. Oh, my God. It's horrific. Almost immediately, authorities determined Darlene Fisher didn't exist and tracked Lisa down using email and IP address. On December 17, 2004, Montgomery was arrested at her farmhouse in Melbourne and claimed the newborn was hers. 
The cops confronted her and her, her story quickly unraveled and she confessed entirely to what she did to Bobby. Um, authorities questioned Kevin but concluded he wasn't involved or aware of his wife's crime. Quote, the only thing I can think is that she wanted a baby so bad. I didn't even get to say goodbye, end quote. Kevin remained married to Lisa and supported her bid for clemency until she was executed. It's just heartbreaking, like every single level. Bobby's baby was named Victoria Jo Stinnett by her father, and the community remembers her as a good student, a woman who had a love for horses and dogs, and she liked swimming in Nottoway River and playing Nintendo games at slumber parties. She was quiet and kind, and she was expecting her first child. Bobby's one of just 22 students in her graduating class from the Nottoway Hold R7 high school class of 2000. Yeah, I figured you'd like that as well. She was a tiny class like you were. How many people were in your class? 20. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, Though the people's class. Yeah, it's tiny. <laughs> Even though like everyone who graduated scattered somewhat, since they all graduated, they meet every year on the anniversary of Bobby Joe's death. Quote, last year we got flowers and gave Bobby's mother a $100 plus gift card and paid her water bill, end quote. One of her other friends said, quote, I think in a lot of opinion pieces that are being posted, Bobby Joe and her daughter and her mother and her husband and her other friends and family are kind of being forgotten, which is said by Tiffany Kirkland. Nottoway County Sheriff Randy Strong says that the scene that he and four of his guys found that day was so bloody that they are still traumatized by it. Oh, and it wow. makes him even angrier that Bobby's mother is the one who found her that way. <gasps> Bobby's community viewed Lisa as a calculated murderer. They saw a woman who catfished Bobby online under a fake alias. She bought supplies, including a home birth kit. She searched online how to perform a C-section. Deputy Strong insists the crime was meticulously planned and that Lisa lied until backed into a corner. Quote, the people that are defending Montgomery, I wish that I could take them back in time and put them in that room and then go look at the body and then go stand there. Listen to this 911 call of Bobby's mother. He says this is the stuff of nightmares. So her trial and appeal. The death penalty isn't mandatory in the U.S. Prosecutors have to actually choose to seek the death penalty. But the Bush Justice Department, under disgraced Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez, he authorized at least one of the torture memos saying the prisoners weren't entitled to be treated as prisoners under the Geneva Convention. He was almost brought up on perjury charges for blatantly lying to senators about his role as attorney general and as a representative for the White House. What? Fucked up fact, Gonzalez was disgraced for failing repeatedly in the 1990s to share pertinent legal issues as legal counsel for Texas Governor George W. Bush and death penalty cases needing review. So just like not a good character. Not good. Yeah, no. So he's the one that decided to pursue the death penalty despite virtually all other cases like Lisa's avoiding execution. By all other cases, I mean cases with evidence of severe childhood abuse, let alone Lisa's experiences also qualifying her as a trafficking victim who was repetitively failed by other authorities around her. Yeah. So Dave Owen, an attorney who had never defended a person facing the death penalty, led Lisa's defense team. What? You're not going to be ready for this part. No. It's so great. Okay. In any capital case, the most important factor that determines whether a defendant lives is apparently the quality of the defense team. Didn't know that until this week. And that's a horrifying statistic. That shouldn't be what it's based on, right? It should be based off the fact. Like, if we're talking about your constitutional rights, due process, and all of that shit, it also shouldn't be about how much money you have compared yeah, to anybody else. Not. I don't know. I think that well, was an like interesting that Brian fact. Stevenson quote 
Oh, geez, I'm 100% blanking on it right now. But basically, the poor don't get right. good representation and the rich do. Yeah, I actually got in bed the other night and was like, I'm going to defend somebody on death row now. I have to. It's part of my thing. You have to. I almost have to. You fucking have to. Owen, the lead attorney, was known for his disparaging views on women. You can imagine his so enthusiasm good. when national experts recommended Judy Clark to be assigned to the case. She was known for her work with mentally ill clients and victims of abuse and trauma, and she immediately formed a trusting relationship with Lisa. Mm. But Owen couldn't handle a woman telling him what to do. <laughs> According to a female attorney who worked in the office at some point, whenever Owen did, quote, he chafed at Miss Clark's leadership role on the team and was not particularly good at working with women, especially women on equal footing, end quote. We all know a jackass male attorney who's fucking like that, though. <laughs> I couldn't even what think of do? five. I couldn't even limit it that much. I was just like, oh. Was, yeah, I didn't think it was Yeah, funny. yeah. The chief investigator on Lisa's case, another misogynistic asshole, repeatedly made clear that he was, quote, not going to take orders from any damn woman, end quote. All right, yep. Mm-hmm. Let's Without, keep him around. Let's keep them all here. I think Lisa has a great opportunity for justice. Without any warning, Owen and his boss went over Judy's head and asked the male federal judge, Gary Finner, to remove her from the case. In a series of unrecorded sessions with the judge, without Clark's knowledge, Owen described her involvement in the case as, quote, bossy and emasculating, end quote. And sorry, can you feel like your penis is shrinking? I don't yeah, know. like, I'm so sorry, sorry she has you. bigger dick energy than you have. I think it's a confidence issue most times <laughs> when this is the problem. Literally sign you're an asshole. Mm, yeah. But he convinced the judge to dismiss her. In 2006, the judge said, quote, her involvement was obstructive in getting a defense from Miss Montgomery put together, end quote. And he ordered all contact with Miss Clark to be cut off. On April 20th, 2006, when Judy attempted to visit Lisa in jail, she was denied entry. Lisa didn't see Clark again until after she was sent to federal death row. What? Mm -hmm. Lisa was so shattered at the loss of Clark that she wrote a letter to the judge, and the judge responded that Clark was no longer helpful or necessary in forming <gasps> Lisa's defense. Doesn't Lisa get a right to choose her attorney? Another solid, another great, yeah, great day States. for justice. After she was released, Clark was from the defense team. Any semblance of teamwork evaporated. For the record, in 2015, Clark was described as quite possibly, quote, the best death penalty lawyer in America, end quote. I'm so sad. You sh devastating. It's, it's devastating. I just wanted to put that there so that if anyone actually hears about this other judge, Gary Fenner. How do we impeach him? How do we tell him to go fuck himself more publicly? I don't know, but I'll do it. Like, Am I allowed to do week? that as a law student? I think so. Call him? Right? I'm just being like, hi, I strongly disagree. Starting a petition immediately. Owen's team butchered Lisa's defense and failed to present the full extent and impact of her childhood abuse, torture, and trafficking. Federal prosecutors dismissed the defense's evidence of sexual abuse, calling it the, quote, abuse excuse. Are you fucking kidding me? I said the same thing, the and I was really excuse? upset. Uh, the fucker who said that is named Matt Whitworth. It's not an excuse. No, he's an assistant U.S. attorney in Kansas City, Missouri. He says this, and I think it illustrates his complete lack of understanding about the cumulative effects of traumatic childhoods. I found a quote that said, traumatic brain injuries are cumulative. It's like punch after punch, kick after kick, rape after rape. An injured brain doesn't heal like an injured body does. Like it's never yeah. gonna happen. You cannot expect it to have the same healing times. It's just the most asinine thing ever, the abuse excuse. It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> 
He has since defended his stance as, well, sometimes bad things happen and you can't murder people because of it kind of thing. I'm going to go out on a limb here, though, and say that Matt Whitworth wouldn't have survived the abuse Lisa endured, Mm -mm. nor would he have been expected to. His gender shields him from understanding Lisa's childhood abuse because her fucking brothers weren't targeted. Like, she had stepbrothers growing up. Her stepbrothers found the fucking tapes. You know what I mean? I just think it also shows that Matt is speaking from a privileged stance because he's a man. He can say that shit because Mm -hmm. even if at its worst... He was in the trailer with Lisa as a sibling. He wouldn't have experienced the same fucking abuse. I found another thing that says, quote, were it not for being a woman, she would not have been on death row because she wouldn't be subjected to the kind of torture that she was. Her case is all about gender. And end quote. That's from Sandra Babcock, who's the founder and faculty director of the Cornell Death Penalty Center and an Hmm. expert in gender discrimination in capital cases. She says prosecutors have a set playbook in capital cases involving women. They condemn women who are bad mothers or who don't fit an idealized version of femininity. No, that's true. Yeah. Across the board in all sorts of cases. And then they say shit like abuse excuse because it's like just not fitting. But I um, say that I can't think of anybody they've said that for. I can't think of a single man sharing an experience and someone being like, you're making an excuse for it, period. Like they wouldn't ever say that or confront them. No, 100% they would not. I just I don't think it would happen. I think we would have known about it. I agree. Yeah. Sandra says what the defense team should have done is frame her inability to care for her children and herself as a symptom of her years of abuse because that's what happened. Yeah. The defense did a shitty job at investigating mitigating circumstances and finding experts to testify on Lisa's behalf. You know, like they're employed to do. Also, her attorneys described the practice of mitigating specialists, which is super common in cases that especially involve any kind of severe punishment. (laughs) They called it a laughable practice and dismissed four experts, all of whom were qualified, capable women. What? But all four came back during her appeals processes to testify then to not let her die. So apparently after she's sentenced to death, it's relevant. But before then, they're laughable women. Did she have the same attorneys in her appeal? Yeah. I think she got some federal defense attorneys as well. I know there's like a state public defender's office for appeals, so I'm sure federally there's something similar. Had to have been that then. Dr. Catherine Porterfield is an expert on torture and trauma, testified that the impact of Lisa's sexual abuse is massive and that her disassociation was one of the worst cases she's ever seen. The prosecutors attacked her domesticity, saying that she was obviously a terrible mother because she didn't cook or clean, and then they recommended the death penalty. Sorry, you can't cook you deserve to die yeah like you're not even good at being a mom what's she doing here get her out this is her only purpose to be a mom i agree we know that the jury deliberated for five hours before finding her guilty and recommending death only five her life was worth five hours five whole hours yeah Kelly Henry, one of Lisa's federal defense lawyers, said, quote, the whole story is tragic, but one thing that President Trump can do is say to the women who have been sexually abused is that your abuse matters. She didn't mean to suggest the men in this case thought they were engaging in misogynistic behavior or that their ideas of gender norms affected the case, but she said that they did, end quote. <laughs> I like that, too. So we're relying on President Trump now? <laughs> or we were at that time? Yeah, we were. That, this Her entire life came down to Trump pardoning her well, and that's why she died that was never gonna happen it was yeah. never gonna fucking happen Trump doesn't respect nor does he yeah he doesn't respect to... women get the fuck out of here okay for her conviction in 2007 up until her execution lisa maintained contact with her children since 2008, Lisa was held in a federal prison in Texas for female inmates with special medical and psychological needs and had been treated by psychiatrists. After 17 years of no executions in the United States, we resumed that in the summer of 2020. 
She was scheduled to be executed by lethal injection at a federal prison in Indiana, which is the only federal prison with an active death chamber. She was placed on suicide watch in an isolated cell for the remainder of her life after she was given her execution date. I thought you couldn't execute someone who's mentally ill. You can't. It's against the Eighth Amendment, How'd they which get bars cruel and unusual punishment. Oh, they also rushed to execute her. You're supposed to have a 120-day waiting period between when you get your execution date and when they can murder you. But they didn't do that. They also denied all of the attorney's requests for a, like, like a continuance because they had COVID and couldn't get out of their beds. They also couldn't let experts go down there to evaluate her to determine the condition of her mental state so that she could be executed because of COVID, which they said was an excuse for her to just be executed. Oh my God. So they just ignored the laws of the nation. They ignored the global pandemic that we're in. What's disturbing is it goes against the United States Department of Justice's own protocols for how you execute somebody legally. How many days did they give her? I'm not even sure. I didn't find that. I'm sure we could count though. Like, from the date they gave her to the day that they execute her. Like, I know it wasn't 120 days. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't even understand. I don't understand. I know. It's heartbreaking. Prior to her execution, Lisa accepted responsibility for murdering Bobby Justina Mm -hmm. and expressed deep remorse. Her attorneys appealed over and over again, explaining that Lisa continued to suffer a reality-distorting mental illness, and that alone should have resulted in a state of execution. Yeah. More than a thousand current and former prosecutors, anti-violence advocates, anti-trafficking organizers, advocates for abused and neglected children, and mental health advocates asked President Trump to stop Lisa's execution using hashtag Save Lisa. Mm. In late December 2020, Lisa's legal team submitted a petition to President Trump pleading that after a lifetime of abuse characterized as torture, she was too mentally ill to be executed and deserved mercy. Her sister Diane said, quote, I would say, President Trump, I want you to look at the life Lisa led. I want you to look at all the people who failed her. I want you to look at the rape, the torture, the mental abuse, the physical abuse this woman endured. I'm asking him to have compassion on her as a person that has been failed over and over and over again and to not fail her, end quote. Mm -hmm. The United States Department of Justice under the Trump administration executed Lisa during a global pandemic. Lisa was the only woman on federal death row and was executed for murder in the state of Indiana. She's the first woman executed by the Fed government since 1953, and on early Wednesday morning, January 12, 2021, she died via lethal injection after a Supreme Court vote of six to three that they didn't decide like she deserved a stay of execution on, clearly. Like they voted on that and they executed her. That's what our justices are doing. Trump's fit. Mm-hmm. Lisa committed murder and nothing will ever justify or rectify Bobby Joe's and its death. Her family, friends, and community will always feel the consequences of Lisa's psychological break. But the reality is, if anybody had stepped up and intervened, Lisa could have received help and perhaps began the long journey of healing from a childhood of sexual exploitation and trafficking. We'll never know what would have happened if the right services had been notified and utilized. But what we do know is that Lisa was a subject of terrible, torturous crimes, and her crime was inextricably linked to her own history of trauma, mental illness, and brain damage. Her trial and appeals were blatantly compromised by misogyny and a disrespectful lack of comprehension for childhood sex trafficking at the hands of, again, her mom. So that's my Lisa story. That's extremely tragic. At every stage. Even in the womb. Yeah. Her mom excessively drank. Her first words were, please don't hurt me anymore, basically. This poor kid. Yeah. We failed her, like, everywhere. 100% we failed her. 
at every level of how the United States. How is that system. Owen guy still allowed to just like practice? I don't understand. The attorney general, the one who said the abuse excuse, he's been elevated to like a judge. No. Yeah. He's a judge now? I think so. He's on the other side of the bench. That's what an article I read said. Was he put up there by Trump? Probably. It's like a whole <laughs> elaborate thing. It goes all the way to the fucking oh top. Oh my god. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Do you have any comments? Not at this time. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Lisa, how old are her kids now? I think one article that I found said that two of them testified during her appeal process, and when that was happening, the oldest was 20, and the second oldest was 17, and I don't have any idea where the two younger ones fall. Yeah. Her, husband, her second husband stayed with her? Mm-hmm. I'm, are you raising your hand? Yes. <laughs> Hi, it's Jess again. <laughs> I'm back. I just think it's really fucking sad that from conception to death, this woman was consistently failed mm-hmm. by the system, mm-hmm. and every opportunity she had to get help people ignored her mm-hmm. or put her aside as if her life meant less than it did yes it did. and i'm upset yes thank you <laughs> no i agree um i kind of said it on the break if i were bobby's family i would kind of hold every single person who had yeah. the chance to intervene and didn't not on the same level as lisa obviously but also like they're not not to blame I think everybody owns a little bit of culpability at the end of the day when this is the result of a girl who, like you said, from conception to death was failed over and over and over again by the system. It's, it is hard when she did an action that can't ever be rectified. Rectified. Yeah, there's and no restitution for taking someone's life. Bobby Joe's life had a lot of value Absolutely. and a lot of meaning. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like she had a really strong, exciting future yeah. and community. She did. And she had her little baby that, I mean... Victoria Joe, named after her mom. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to balance that with the whole tragedy of Lisa's life. I don't know, if somebody who can't figure out how to take care of themselves because they weren't ever taught to take care of themselves, you can't hold them to the standard of knowing the all the rules of society when you were never given a chance to learn them. It's also the reason why in the United States it's not supposed to be legal to execute someone who can't mentally understand why they're being executed. Mm-hmm. It's cruel and unusual punishment. A hundred percent. And what it also comes down to is, was Lisa's execution more valuable to the healing of Bobby's family? Honestly, do you think that now they can recover in a way that they were incapable of doing before we murdered her and our no, it would drag their family through the whole process. That's my thing. Is I don't I'm think sure her family showed up at all of those court dates. And Lisa killed Bobby, and yes. she deserved to spend the rest of her life in prison. Yeah, absolutely. She doesn't need to be on the streets, Mm-mm. but she also needed to be fucking diagnosed, monitored, and treated. Like I don't know, it's horrible. But I just I don't think her death helped. Is what I'm trying to say no, in no, a long convoluted the- way. I don't think we got we gained mm-hmm. anything from her death. I would say probably the majority of people who are executed on death row, the families of the victims, don't report feeling any better. Then, like, what the fuck are we doing it for? I think for too long, I don't mean to go on a sermon here, but I'm doing it anyway. I don't understand why the justice system in America isn't actually more honed to restitution. Because mm-hmm. if it's not at the end of the day to make the person who was victimized or had their own rights infringed on feel better, then what the fuck are we doing it for? It's not even a deterrent. What it's is the goal no restitution. of having a system that lets you execute mentally ill human beings if even the family of the victim 
aren't getting anything from it. Mm -hmm. Who's yeah. winning then? I don't know. The prosecutors should get paid. He's a judge now, so you're right. That fucker did win from the abuse excuse shit. He's proud of himself, too. I'm sure some people really liked it. I'm sure a bunch of white men loved it. You're mm -hmm. right. And white women. <laughs> I know, it's embarrassing. <laughs> it I is. Don't say it. You're right, it's though. though. Equally to fucking blame. <laughs> I'm not sorry. It's true. Guys, I should get another microphone. It could be trafficked with Sadie, Jess, and Jess. <laughs> so funny. Sorry. <laughs> well, do you have anything else that you want to get in this? I don't think so. I'm a slow processor. That's fair. I'll probably be processing for a while. No, now. yeah. This is going to stay with me for a minute. I couldn't research this one for very long. Kind of makes me want to be a foster parent, though, actually. Yeah. That's what it made me want to do really bad. Mm-hmm. I'll be the cool aunt. Hell yeah. Oh my god. That was cute. Okay. Great job, guys. Thanks, babe. <laughs> Hi, guys. Just a reminder that if you want to follow us on social media, you can send in requests for cases or episodes to traffickedinamericapodcast at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Instagram at traffickedpodcast or Twitter at traffickedpod. That's at traffickedpod. Thanks, guys. Bye.